0: Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your hosts Oxygen Advantage founder Patrick McKeown and Daniel Paulson. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. So conversation all about breathing orthodontics. Where is it going? Where does it come from? And I'm delighted to be accompanied with Dr. John Mew and Dr. Mike Mew. I've had the privilege of visiting their clinic in Purley. And it's going back as far as 2009. And they were very graceful in terms of allowing me to sit in to observe them both working with their patients. And the reason that both doctors were interested was because About 40 or 50 years ago, Dr. John Mew was one of the first orthodontists to start talking about the importance of breathing in and out through the nose, good posture with the tongue against the palate. So it's a privilege. And uh, John, I would love just to get your insight in terms of your initial kind of, you were working as a dentist. Your father was a dentist as well. There's a lot of history here in the dental world. You then trained as an orthodontist. You were also working in orthodontic surgery, observing, and you were seeing things that it it asked you, you had some questions.
1: I think I was very lucky. My father was actually an orthodontist, although they didn't call themselves that in those days. Um, But he treated other people's patients, which I think makes him an orthodontist but it was he who taught me the value of expansion. And that really set me off down the road because after he died, um, I looked at his study models. He kept good records. And I found that I'd been taught never expanded or its relapses. And, and I found looking at my father's cases, yes, the majority of them had relapsed. not all the way, but part of the way but some of them hadn't really relapsed very much. But what really surprised me was the fact that a few of them had actually gone on widening after he'd expanded them. Now, you can imagine that blew my mind. And it was he who taught me there is a reason for everything. So I I simply said, I must find the reason why some people... Maxillae go on widening and some don't and then i realized it was the position of the tongue and that set everything off
0: can i just draw this just for the person who's listening in because when you're talking about expansion you're talking about the maxilla, which is the top jaw and the tongue if we were to look at the shape of the tongue the tongue is quite u-shaped And what you're saying is that by having the mouth closed, especially during the early years of development in children, if the mouth is closed and if the tongue is resting up in the roof of the mouth, this will help to ensure forward growth of the maxilla and also width of the maxilla. And the benefit of this is it influences the face, but you're also not going to have overcrowding of teeth. Now I will talk about my own personal basis. I was a mouth breather for the first twenty-five years. I'm not sure when I started mouth breathing, but I assume from my early photographs it was quite young. My maxilla had a very narrow V-shaped maxilla and a high palate, which was infringing my nasal cavity. And when I smiled, I had black triangles either side because my mouth wasn't big enough, my jaw wasn't big enough for the mouth. So, what your what your father Sorry, was I'm
1: under- on the Zoom call at the moment? Phone later.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, what, Patrick. You're all right. What what your father was talking about was expansion. And when you then looked at your father's work, you've seen that some of them relapsed, so they went back in. And why might they go back in? What is causing the after expansion? What causes then the, the maxilla to get go um, inwards again?
1: It took me a long time to realize that, Patrick. But if um uh, a baby is spoon fed or cup fed or really just not breastfed. <coughs> they tend when they swallow to suck. Whereas the, if a baby is breastfed, certainly to full tongue, they learn to push with their tongue against the breast to crush the breast and squeeze the milk out. Therefore, they they subsequently swallow in an entirely different way. Every time they swallow, they push on their palate. They don't suck. And that causes a lot of difference, not just to the width of the maxilla, but also it will cause enlargement of the buccinator muscles, which always looks unattractive.
0: So in In terms terms of young people, say that
2: Mike? Except if you're under about eight years old, large buccinator muscles can look very cute.
1: Yes, that's very true. It's part of the sign of, of an attractive baby, chubby cheeks.
2: Yeah, because they've got good effective buccinators, so they're clearly um, breastfeeding very well. But cherubs and sucking infants are the only people who should be using their buccinator muscles. And when you stop breastfeeding you should then move to an adult swallow, which is different from an infantile, subtle breastfeeding. And then your cheek muscles should hollow out. So I've got very little buccinator. But strange enough, I my buccinators, even when I went to university, were still too big. And I then worked out what dad was so on. I worked it out, he was, uh, I could deduce that my large buccinators from the way I was swallowing. And I made a purposeful effort not to use my buccinators and they they've virtually disappeared. So I have much hollower cheek here because I have no buccinator left. And that would just focus and dedication, just like you take your breathing.
0: And in terms of the development of your <clears> face, because even as we look at it now, viewers will see that your face is much broader than mine is. And we can deduce from well, that, that there's yours has got broader. Mine has got broader, of course. It it was and more. No, no, narrower. it's
2: interesting, yes. Patrick, because it's the first time we've chatted on the phone. The first time we've spoken
0: properly since COVID. That's true. You know, yes, Patrick, yes. I, I have point.
1: asked you before. I would love to have mm-hmm. a really good picture of you with um, a six-inch ruler held vertically in front of your nose, because we have at the practice a picture of you taken about what five six maybe more years more. ago yes and you are noticeably different now and i'm sure that is because you have corrected your training and it would be excellent for you to be able to demonstrate that
0: yes yes, yes.
1: you know and you've worked hard back i can see
0: well one thing that i was working on was having correct tongue resting posture and also doing some of the exercises tongue pops and you know the different exercise in terms of from mewing from myofunctional therapy um and i do believe that my lower jaw has actually came forward and this is often a question that people ask especially adults you know is you say you have a 20 year old child and it's a very delicate answer to give them that if for example they have jaws that were set back such as mine were which compromises the airway and can set you up with the risk of sleep apnea for life, can that be improved without orthodontic intervention? Or is it too delicate a thing to say that we can't always say it in all instances, but can we influence the growth of the jaws? And in some ways, it seems that we can. You know, my
1: research shows quite definitely that the moment you put bands and brackets on teeth, The jaw retrudes. All right, maybe just one or two millimeters, but sometimes ten or fifteen.
2: Yeah, I mean, okay, yes. Sorry, I mean the um. So, so you suggesting intervention can at times, and I'm not saying it always is. Okay, but suggesting that sometimes trying to intervene to align the teeth may cause the face to drop down a little.
0: Yeah. Well, I've seen it first time with my own daughter, Lauren, because um, a hard wire has been put on her. And as soon as the hard wire was put on her, the gummy smile became evident. And now we're taking away the hard wire. So that she's got train tracks on. So something happened to drop the maxilla to show the gummy smile. Now, maybe a lot of parents wouldn't necessarily be observant of this. And I think this is why parents need to be aware of information. Now I'm going to come back full circle. Mount Eric, can I
2: quickly put a plug here, Patrick? It's yes. really nice that we've got some photographs from a while ago of you. Parents take good photographs. Take great records. If you're if you're worried about this, if you have any concerns, simply take good photographs. Good sideways photographs, preferably with a telephoto lens that's zoomed in. So the longer the distance, the better. It takes out parallax, and with good lighting, I say always good artificial lighting, because then it's the same each time.
0: Anyway, um, sorry. Blank but background, but preferably a neutral background, preferably white, white wall or something. Mm. Mm. And by the parents taking this, <clears throat> then they can they can follow the progression of their child's orthodontic intervention to see if there is changes to the shape of the face. Is that yes. what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, more, I
2: mean just just to understand not only just if you're going if you're going to try any intervention so you're going to try you know and and sometimes you know I, I don't want to knock orthodontics too much sure, sometimes orthodontics can get a fantastic outcome I've seen it frequently that um they can even sometimes you know I've seen faces you know a little bit of expansion someone gets their tongue up there they change for the better I've seen some really beautiful facial outcomes with conventional orthodontics. But either ways, if there's this controversy that you can hear there is, take good records. And even if you're not going to do orthodontics, you're going to do something like mewing, something like the breathing, something like um, the mealtime exercise, or just try and encourage your child to stand up straight and shut their mouth. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Then what you need to know is if it was doing anything, is it working? Is it not working? Take good records records.
0: Picture tells the story. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to mouth breathing and the importance of correct tongue resting posture, and I might just put this out to the two of you. I was preparing or thinking, you know, I knew, of course, I was going to be chatting with you today, and I went in on PubMed yesterday, and I did a simple search, and this can be a search that's done by, that can be done by any parents, is just to go in on PubMed And PubMed is the database of pretty much most Most. papers, clinical trials, et cetera. And I'm just going to do it now, just and I'll share it. So when I went in there, I put in two words. I put in mouth breathing, and I put in malocclusion. And it revealed some yeah it was something like 700 okay I've got 563 results here I started going through these results and I couldn't find papers without a connection that when the child had them mouth open their teeth were crooked now any parent can check this out for themselves with such an array and you can see where I was checking and all I was doing was just Randomly clicking on articles, okay, and then looking and pretty much what I would say the vast majority of papers it was shown if there's a problem with swallowing, if there's a problem with tongue so with tongue trust, if there's a problem with nasal breathing, that it had a negative effect on the development of the face. Now, this information is not new. I remember reading an article that was published back in nineteen o nine in the journal Dental Cosmos. Yeah. And it yeah. talked about the child with the mouth open in school, the teachers ac- accusing the child of being inattentive, the child's face looks dull and expressionless. And yet this has been debated in orthodontist. My, my question as a lay person looking in, I'm not a dentist, I'm not an orthodontist, I work with simple breathing. How has this been overlooked? And this is not a criticism. This is only a question that I would like to put out there. I was that mouth breathing child. 25 to 50% of studied children are persistently mouth breathing, either during wakefulness or date our sleep. I have never came across any paper that hasn't said that mouth breathing has some negative impact in the development of that child. Why is it being ignored?
1: I think I can answer that, Patrick. Individuals believe what they believe. They will not change that because there is evidence. You can produce paper after paper, all saying the same thing, and nobody will change their mind unless they have to. Young students, yes, will grow up with a different message, but people who practice for 20 or 30 years are not going to change because someone writes a paper. In my opinion, the only way you will get change is If people are made to change, that is why um, I think that the law is possibly the only way that it will happen. Now, my colleagues disagree and think that's a terrible approach. I can see Michael's face. He doesn't approve of that at all. But I'm quite sure that if you want to change something, you have to make it illegal.
2: But... Sorry, to come, I think it's very true. If parents were aware of this and they selected this and they were willing to pay at times more for this because these types of treatments are longer duration and they require getting someone to change and that's was the big thing. But I think another thing is that people have tried in studies to get children to change, go from mouth breathing to nose breathing. They've tried to do many things. And it's really quite a difficult thing to do. Yes. Yes. And this is the problem that, you know, I can be an orthodontist and I can have a great practice Mm -hmm. where I employ some assistants to do most of the work for me. I have a treatment plan, so I I treatment plan the patients coming through. And we have three or four different types of treatment. Everyone else understands the protocols and this whole system runs like a machine. Yes. And it's no, no stress. You know, five o'clock, six o'clock, door closes, you go home, there's no stress, there's no worry. You make really good money. I mean, really good money doing this. And you, don't, you make people's teeth straight. That's what we do in modern medicine, you know, doctor, here's some money. I want you to make my teeth straight for me. I want that product. And here you have a very successful business. Trying to change swallowing, breathing, posture. Well, that's hard work. That's difficult.
0: You know, I don't go home. I
2: don't clock off in the evening and go home. I'm I'm on call all the time. Yeah. I am trying to change Mike,
0: I understand it is difficult. And I... I work with breathing with kids it doesn't mean it should be ignored it has been no no, no 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 yeah yeah it has been completely ignored me, how uh, many dentists if i went into my local city in galway here and i went to an orthodontic practice and i've asked dentists here and i've asked them the simple question does mouth breathing affect the development of the face and the answer typically said back to me is no, no. so in other words if a child goes in with their mouth open And even to their local dentist, surely when we're thinking about oral health, it's not enough to be avoiding or minimizing sweet intake or brushing teeth. We should also be talking about the importance of nose breathing because nose breathing ensures that there's healthy saliva or more saliva in the mouth, which is anti plaque. You know, so here is the fundamental question. Yes, it is challenging, but what is the alternative? If we ignore this and if parents ignore this, well, I don't think parents would ignore it if they knew knew the effect that is the problem the information isn't put out there and i would also say that there would be a drive to encourage nasal breathing if society got behind it if the school teacher was encouraging the children in class Mm. if the parents were encouraging if the pediatric dentist if the doctor if all of the health care professions then it would be normal and then it would be abnormal the child going around with the mouth open. And we have to think of the bigger yeah. consequences of this. Yeah. Karen Barnock did a study in Stratford-upon-Avon. She published it in the journal of Pediatrics in 2012. She looked at mouth breathing and sleep disorder breathing in children. She studied 11,000 children from the ages of six months to the age of 57 months. And children with sleep disorder breathing, if untreated, had a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. I'm going to pull up this paper here. Now, she talked about mouth breathing as the hallmark symptoms. Now, when we're talking about craniofacial development and obstructive sleep apnea, so here is this paper here, 11,000 children and a history of sleep disorder breathing through the age of five years of age, a 40% increased risk of special education needs by age eight. Now, she goes on to say that she talks that pediatric sleep disorders result in disrupted, inefficient, and inadequate sleep. Both may affect brain development and cause neuronal damage, particularly during critical early developmental periods. She talks about 3 million children in the United States, aged between 6 and 21 years of age, who were receiving special education for conditions associated with sleep disorders. And then she asks, what are the classic hallmark symptoms of sleep disorders? The multidimensional expression of sleep disorder hallmark symptoms, snoring, apnea, and mouth breathing. Well, if the airway is compromised, is that child not going to snore? I'm sure that paper has been repeated dozens
1: of times,
2: no, I don't, No, 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 that's a pivotal paper. Karen Bollock does some really good work.
0: But it's like she's speaking but no one's listening. Girl. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the first... this is the thing that is mind boggling for me. Um as the person, and I've often said it looking into your industry, the dental industry, highly educated people, I know what it's it takes to get into university to get through university, and to get oh, a yeah, dental get, get degree is, dental is, is at a different level.
2: And you can how get the come? Industry, you're at the top level. You're at the yeah, top the level. Top. Top. So if we you're have... a dentist and you want to get into orthodontics, you've got to be the top level. Totally, and then but these are really, really tough
0: qualifications. Parents, right? any parent listening to this is going to get it. And any parent listening to this, what I would say to parents is, when you're going around your day-to-day activities, you're going into a restaurant. Look at the facial profile of the kids with the mouth breathing.
2: Go, go. I, I want to point out here that you know when we talk about mouth breathing, remember. We try and look at the specific angles of this, and we're saying a open mouth posture and low tongue posture. OK, because those are the elements of mouth breathing, which we think are harmful. So we be be if you're watching this, be aware that this is, you know, we're going to use these terms. We're going to flick around these terms. We've got mouth breathing. And that's an overall sort of description. It's much more a lay person's description. When we're talking technically, we're going to be talking about an open mouth posture of the lips and a low tongue position, because, of course, if you're going to mouth breathe, you have to have a low tongue posture. You have to have separated lips. That's the hallmark of mouth breathing. But and there's a one interesting point here, Patrick, that I do need to be think needs highlighting is that, you, of course, you can breathe through your nose with your tongue low and your lips apart. So that just that's why sometimes it's important to, you know, think about the medical terms or the medical sides because sometimes a slightly better description. But of course, we all know what mouth breathing is, and it makes helps people to understand, particularly the lay public.
0: Yes, yes. The debate that may be here is that the child was born with a high upper palate. Now, for example, I'll give you the case of myself. My parents broad facial structures. All of the siblings, narrow facial structures. My daughter has teutogenesis, missing one incisor, which is relevant or prevalent in 10% of the population, study modern population.
2: population.
0: Go the back modern in past, population.
2: Go back in those ancestral groups. Basically, the number of missing teeth is virtually zero.
0: So even if it was a genetic influence, and of course the environment, we're talking about epigenetics here. Yeah, yes. Perfectly. The recognition that this child has a small mouth, which there's not enough room for the tongue, which is going to likely encroach the airway. The dentist is still in a position to do something about it. Yeah. So whether it's the genes which have caused the narrow, the narrow maxilla and the overcrowding or whether it's the mouth breathing. So is it the genetics that cause mouth breathing? in other words, or is it mouth breathing, which has caused the alteration to the shape of the face, the dentist is still able to do it in a position to expand that palate to make enough room for the tongue. Um, So it really does come down to, it's not just about straightening the teeth, it's really about the child's airway is what we should be focusing on, and that's what you've been focusing on.
1: May I say something here? Yes, Because the points you're raising, Patrick, have worried me for a long time, because I'm saying without any doubt that the width of the palate is uh, due and um, cured by the position of the tongue. And yet there is no doubt that um, this can, um, well, children can have narrow palates at birth. Right. I know that, that the tongue is actually posturing during development and maybe um, some children have poor tongue posture in the womb. That could explain it, but in many ways that weakens my own hypothesis. And I think that one should be able to answer that, and I really can't. No.
0: Yep. But regardless of the hypothesis, we are still... The whole debate is, is all about the chicken and the egg. So, for example, there's questions how long should the child have the mouth open before it's clinically relevant or it has a negative impact on the growth of the jaws? How much nasal obstruction is relevant? None of yes. this, these are t- absolutely irrelevant. If the child has the mouth open, and the problem with this is how do we measure it? comes back to, you know, why do we need to have it absolutely measured in science when common sense should be the logic here? Common sense should be the approach. If the child is having the mouth open, the tongue isn't able to rest in the roof of the mouth. And if the tongue is considered to be an orthodontic appliance, or at least to support, to provide support to so, the tongue the
2: the ultimate orthodontic appliance. That is and, the only perfect orthodontic appliance is the tongue. You know, once professions go in a certain direction, it can be hard to change the direction because you have, you know, you have this structure. You know, people are taught methods of straightening teeth. Well, if you've been taught methods of straightening teeth, then that's what you do. And if that's what your career now is predicated upon, if you're to buy into the alternative viewpoint, would weaken your own. Yes. Weakens you, you, what you're taught. It's your, it's your sense of identity. You know this what you you've you become an orthodontist you've become a tooth straightener that's your identity to suggest maybe we should be doing a year you know, i'm saying is prevention and that's when you start to understand so you know patrick we we talked about the black swan yeah. uh, article i produced so i went on a five six year letter writing campaign to try to get a debate on why teeth crooked. You know, yeah. it, it, my specialty, the orthodontists, openly admit that they don't know the cause of the problem. That might surprise people, but, you know, it, it, we take you know, the, the best textbooks in the world are suggesting that we don't know more than 5% of the cases and syndromes and genetic reasons account for less than a percent of that. Most of that 5% is understood that your thumb suckers Your tongue thrusters, you know the really obvious ones, Mm. and the rest of them, you know, no one's got a clue. Well, the most speciality doesn't have a clue. Mm. So I thought sensibly, you know, we're treating a concept without knowing the cause of the problem. Mm. Let's have a debate on this. Yeah. Let's have a debate on why are teeth crooked. So if you scroll to the very bottom of that article, Patrick, scroll to the very bottom. The last paragraph is here. So it says, I challenge the orthodontic profession to a debate, to test the hypothesis that malocclusion is caused by the environment and modified by the genes. If this is upheld, then an independent investigation on the theory of orthotropics should ensue. Because, you know, this concept we come out with, so whereas we talk about orthodontics is orthos, correct or straight teeth, orthotropics is orthos or correct growth. So effectively, I'm saying rather than straightening the teeth, if we get the face growing very well, then the teeth should be naturally straight within the better developed face.
1: Yes. We go
2: one step back, and this gets emotive when we talk about faces, but people with great facial form, you know, the most Mm. the best facial architecture tend to have straight teeth, broad smiles and space for all of their teeth. Mm. People whose facial architecture, well, what do we say, this is a motive, didn't grow as well. They tend to have crooked teeth and less space for all of their teeth. Now, conventional wisdom is growth is largely genetic. What you're going to do is straighten the teeth in the space you've got. And orthodontists are generally brilliant
0: at doing that. Yes. No, I
2: know, this is my profession, hats off to them. They're brilliant at arranging the teeth within the given structure that someone has grown to. Well, we're saying, well, we could go beyond that. We could try to change the very structure, the very growth of the structure so that you gain good architecture and naturally straight teeth. You you don't need retention. In fact, I don't even use fixed appliances to make teeth straight because you know, I don't want to force teeth into position. I want the individual to align their own teeth. They may not do quite such a good job, but it's likely to be more stable.
0: Plus, the resultant... Less
2: likely to cause damage.
0: And the resultant shape to the face. I'm just going to put up... This is can be replicated by any parent as well watching in. Yeah. If you went into Google and put in adenoid faces now... Yeah. how many times have we seen these faces and again when I look at for example this boy here his nose seems quite large his maxilla is set back his mandible is very set back so already then you have to ask the question on his airway
2: mm. the question
0: mm. here to ask is yeah will these children have straight teeth or will they have overcrowding of teeth in all likelihood
2: yeah I mean in all likelihood. but it, it goes beyond that,
0: Patrick. Yeah.
2: Because, well, when we're looking at the adenoidal face, yes. Well, this is there's a great crossover with um, the the village idiot. Okay. Yes. Now, again, again, this is emotive stuff, but when yeah. we start looking at what Karen Bonnet was just saying about mental effects yeah. of snoring and mouth breathing, and then where we think the um, village idiot, who looks just like adenoidal faces. These are just those guys that Karen Bonick's talking about who's getting lack good neurological development because, well, they're the village idiot, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know, these are big things because we've gone here from talking about crooked teeth and facial aesthetics and these things that a lot of people could write off as being- um, Not linked. uh, Well, just aesthetics, just looking pretty. Now we're moving yes. into sleep apnea, neural development, and of course, you yeah. know, I had a chat with a senior ENT otolaryngology um, surgeon uh, about eighteen months ago in North London, and I said I thought you know about ten percent of the British population, about that could be drawn from most westernized population, but I said ten percent of the British population <clears throat> were going to be dying about ten years younger because of sleep apnea and its consequences. And he went, why? More like 20. Hmm. And that's a one in five. And remember, I qualified in 93 for dentistry in my undergraduate. And sleep apnea wasn't in the syllabus. This has gone from not being in the syllabus in 93, for dent- dentists qualifying in 93, to killing 20% of the population 10 years early. Now, wow. That's I also I call it by ninety-three. Next year's 2003, that's 30 years. Yeah, but we, 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 so hello. Well, wake up. Smell yeah. the coffee on this. Yeah, you mean? Yeah. What hell is going on?
0: There's another aspect here as well where I think the dental has a fundamental role to play, Mike. Mm-hmm. I'm a middle-aged man, I don't go to my doctor very often. Actually, in fact, I went to my doctor about two weeks ago, and the last time I was at my medical doctor was in 2012. I don't think I'm I'm unique. Okay, I could have had all of the classic hallmark symptoms, which I do for sleep apnea. Yeah, but I'm not going to my medical doctor, so I'm not going to get that diagnosis. Ninety percent of the population, according to studies in the United States, are undiagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea. Ninety percent. Only 10 percent are getting treated. If. A dentist was trained in the evaluation and recognition of the risk factors associated with obstructive sleep apnea because I go to my dentist every six months. When I'm lying in the chair, the dentist is in an ideal position to check the high palate, the scalloping of the tongues, the jaws that are set back. And this is something that the dental profession would be, it would be tremendous as an educational campaign about sleep. Knowing that we know the effects.
1: May I make another point? Sure. Uh, We really need to talk a little bit about why so many people have their mouths open. Now, I have very little doubt that it's due to the fact that we live in houses. Houses are full of dust, not just a little dust, but in every particularly bedroom, The air is stuffed full of allergens, masses of them. Breathe them in and you will have allergies. Now, at the most sensitive time is soon after birth. Children are put in a bedroom full of fluff and everything else. They develop nasal rhinitis. They have runny and blocked noses. They can't breathe. All right. It tends to be spasmodic, but the important thing is that over time they get into the habit of mouth-breathing. That becomes a permanent habit, and it's because we live in houses, and the only cure is to sell your house and go and live in a cave.
2: (laughs) We are taking the conversation a little bit off topic one form, no. but you're just adding things in that no, I'm not cause. we're getting we're getting block attention. noses is we it doesn't we don't have to be the ones that define the causes of the block noses we know it's happening and the risk is that if you put your neck out and make comments like that those are the comments that you will be that people trying to disprove your argument will focus on
1: maybe but it is the truth and one day we'll realize that
2: I'm sure that holds a lot of water. Patrick, can I just come back on your comment of the dentist? Mm. Dentists are also uniquely positioned to take sideways facial photographs, lateral facial photographs of all of the children in their care. They can monitor the growth of the face. And I think it should be mandatory for dentists dentist during a checkup to take a clinical Lateral facial photograph of the child's face just to monitor what is happening. The number of times I get patients to come in to see me here, and let's say they're 12 years old to be honest, don't if you're 12 years old, you're grown. you a 12 year old girl, more or less finished. Yeah, but <clears throat> you and but I want to understand what's happening. So I said to them, Have we got any lateral facial photographs? and mm-hmm. they don't have one. Even this day and age where you've got so many photographs I mean you know I, I had about 20 photographs taken of me in my childhood yeah well done that um my my kids must pay 20,000 photographs of them. Now sometimes what we'll resort to is taking an image from a video as they turn their head. just this is just interest just the interest sake of what's gone wrong, how could we've predicted it how could we have un- this is what this is science. This is what I want, is to, my, my mission is to get the spotlight of med, modern medical research to focus on this area because it, it's and we've got some ideas, we've got some interesting points. Clearly what the, the doctors keep turning around and they, show me your evidence. What, are you joking? No, that's not how science is supposed to work. Yeah. What we're supposed to do is have a chat first Go th- use to the maximum all the evidence that's already been researched, set up some protocols on public money, because that's what it takes, and then do some research. Mm. Or if you want to do it the other way around, if you want to say, oh, show me the results of your cases, great. Mm. But can we do some comparative research? So rather um. than you focusing on the teeth, saying, oh, but you haven't got perfectly straight teeth. Which, of course, I don't because I'm not making the teeth straight. I'm asking the individual to straighten their teeth. I'm unlikely to ever get as perfectly straight teeth. It's never going to happen. So if you want to demonstrate that I can't get the teeth as straight as you can, oh, wonderful. What does that achieve? But if you were to add the facial before and after photographs, as well as the dental before and after, now we're in business. Now we can have a, I just, you know, we've got an open statement with Dad, when was, when did you start challenging people to comparative research?
1: Oh, a long time ago. I think probably 1972.
2: Okay, so from 1972, because you mentioned that, I'll even write that down. So from uh, 1972, uh, we've been asking for comparative 50 research. 50 years. 50 yeah. years. Yes. Can we we just break this? I
1: realise that you uh, you can't measure posture, but you can see the effects of posture. Also, what
2: do we mean by orthodontics that's observant of the airway? Or What was the phrase
0: you used? Well, what I would like is that an orthodontist is not just embarking on straightening of the teeth, but also taking into consideration the airway itself. So my facial profile, for example, my forehead and then my nose, which is crooked, my maxilla is set back and my mandible is set back. Yes. And My airway is compromised. Because of it. I had a lot of challenges in school. I left school initially at 14. I had a total sense of frustration with the education system. Yes. I went back one year later. I did get my grades. I got into university in Dublin. And I had to work really, really hard. It mm-hmm. could have been a lot easier. Yep. I want to come back. just. There's two things that are kind of niggling me a little bit. One is the facial profile here. The Just to explain it to people, adenoids are lymphatic tissue at the back of the nose, which impedes airflow. And it forces the child to actually breathe through them out. It's not the adenoids per se, which has caused this facial profile. But it's the adenoids which blocked airflow that the child wasn't able to breathe adequately through the nose. The mm-hmm. child then switches to mouth breathing. When they yeah. switch to mouth breathing, their tongue drops. This yeah. is a medical term. And I'm not sure when was this term coined, adenoid faces or adenoid faces. Oh, yeah. That was
1: back in the early 1900s.
0: Yes well, it's been around a long time and we will see these faces around quite often. Coming back to the growth of the human face. Now, this is a paper from 1953, but I have one as 2013. And any of these papers will talk about the most critical growth period in children is typically between age one and five years of age. Yeah. And that's why I suppose... This is something that needs to be considered in terms of if that child has a mouth breathing posture, as many of them do. Early intervention is very, very important. If at the very least, to encourage the parents to be observant of their children and working with different healthcare professionals to understand and change the pattern. I'm just gonna yeah.
2: Wait for you to finish,
0: but no. I'm just gonna pull up this one here. This is a 2013 article. So 1953 to 2013 they were looking at 210 kids here or sorry yeah 30 subjects 15 males 15 females but 210 sefs and so the sizes side of the side of the head after 5 years of age so basically the conclusions was that The overall linear growth changes that occurred between six months and five years of age, a span of four and a half years, were generally greater than the changes in maxillary growth that occurred between five and 16 years of age, a span of 11 years. In other words, the growth of the maxilla is double the speed from age six months to five years of age, as it is from five years of age to 16 years. Most papers... In terms of, but it's quite understood, are still in agreement that the critical growth ch- growth spurts in children are early on in the formative years. Yes, yeah. As
1: it put in very simple terms. Once the incisors have erupted, it is very hard or much harder to change the pattern of growth of the face.
0: Yes. Um, the, the implications of this, sorry, Mike, to cut across here. Okay. The implications of this then is that if habits have not been addressed early on, that as the child's face is growing, can we see and has it got, you know, does it continue to have that adverse growth in the child's face? Or, in other words, a question maybe for parents you could have a child that's 13 years of age. Should we be encouraging that 13-year-old child to start breathing through the nose with the tongue resting up in the roof of the mouth? If we don't, can it have an adverse reaction even at that age?
1: I have been impressed with how much change you can create right up to the age of 20. All right, not in every child, but if you correct posture at 16, 17 you can get big changes. When I'm talking of big, I mean forward growth, as much as 25, 30 millimetres. Now that's huge compared with the size of the face.
2: But, sorry,
1: it, 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 it
2: gets exponentially disproportionately more difficult as you get older.
1: Yes. And it
2: seems to be the keystone points the age when the molars and incisors finally come in sort of five 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 and a half the six to six and a half um the point where the maxilla stop seems to stop growing anywhere from sort of 10 years old to 12 years old and then a sort of 18 to 25 years old with 25 years old being roughly the top end of you know by the time you, all your growth hormones and all they've gone you know you, you finish growing as a boy, maybe a little bit at 17, 18, but you still have enough growth hormone, carrying on till 25, so you've got some change in you. And then after that, well, Patrick, after mm. that, if you had a stroke, one side of your face would drop down. And that would happen right the way up to 80 years old. So is it actually the skeleton, the bones, that are preventing mm. change, or is it just you've become a creature of habit?
0: muscles yeah yeah well i don't i you
1: know there is a difference between growth and change yes there's a good yeah yeah there is there's a big difference i mean you know
2: you're fully grown most girls by 12 most boys by sort of 14 16 in, in the whole body the face generally the heads ahead when you're born you're more head disproportionately than you are the rest of your body and so your head is ahead and it finishes growing before everything else, often quite a long way before everything else. But you can still gain change. And this is what these kids, these mewing kids are doing. So I came out with this, I I, I put my ideas online. Mm. They were swallowed hook, line and sinker by the um, young adolescent community. And they took my exercises and they kicked it out the ballpark. Mm. I mean, it's just amazing. Because what you then get and what I then observed was these young men, really, mainly young men, women as well, but predominantly young men, working really hard to change how their faces grew. Now, I'd love to show because we're talking about faces changing. We're talking about these guys with um, adenoidal faces. And yeah. there's, there's something, I'd like you to put this in a bit more perspective. Do you mind if I share the screen for a second? Sure, Am of I'm uh, um, a co-host. No, you are. Now, um, Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that out big on that screen. Um, And then I'm going to go share
1: screen. I will go
2: share that screen there.
1: I must go before too long, but...
2: OK, OK, well, I've shared this screen. Yes. And yes. OK, so what I've got here is I've got, I won't go to slide view because then it gets much more complex. But you see, this is someone in the, the sort of prehistoric period. This is someone going back to um, hunter-gatherer, maybe, you know, before, simply before the medieval period, you know, someone who's living a much more natural lifestyle, chewing heavy things, using these muscles, mouth closed, easily able to breathe. Mm -hmm. and then as we go into the modern world the face starts dropping down okay so you've got weak muscles from modern food we've got blocked noses we're hanging our mouths open both of those is causing the face to drop and we get we get down and this one progresses down into the classic adenoidal pattern but it doesn't happen to have that way we've got these classic three classes of malocclusion and as faces drop down They go to about a halfway point and then they change into various different directions. So what we've got here is this is someone who's dropped straight down, what we call class one. There's someone who's dropped down with the jaw going back more. So they've tended to create like this. Their method of coping with the situation is to push the tongue forward and hang it out. So they tend to grow in this type of direction.
0: Forward head posture.
2: I think they all get a forward head posture because that's just, you know, when your face collapses, you need to hold your head open to open the airway. Yeah. But the last one, the class three, these people tend to drop their tongue in the mandible and hold the mandible forward. And that's a really good way of coping with this situation. But it means depending on how you respond, you are going to get a different pattern. Of what we would expect, a different phenotypic expression is what you would call it medically. But you you end up in a different place depending on how you respond to the problem. Yes,
1: and that's yes. what
2: slightly complicates these um you know, these discussions. You know, the the one here being that classic adenoidal face, but everyone you're going to meet in a modern world is slightly downswung. Everyone, yeah. I'm down, so, you know, I'm flat around here, my face has dropped down a little bit. Basically, everyone, the people who are least affected, they're the people adorning magazine covers and actors and people. And I don't think it's that genetically related. I mean, I think and, and this is a controversial statement to make, but I think almost everyone was designed to have a really healthy face that looked aesthetically pleasing. And that is, uh, in a way, our inheritance, and that's what, in a way, we should be getting back to. And I know that's such a controversial statement, and everyone should be happy the way they are.
0: So he's published several papers, and one of these papers is Establishment of Nasal Breathing Should Be the Ultimate Goal to Secure Adequate Craniofacial and Airway Development in Children. Now, here you have one of who's considered to be one of the top founding fathers of sleep medicine pretty much saying what you've been saying to some degree yeah if we even if we just look at the 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 title a nasal breathing should be the ultimate goal is to secure adequate craniofacial he's talking about the face and mm. he's talking about the development of the airway yeah and and how it develops he talks about chronic mouth breathing during active craniofacial development of a child may result in anatomical changes that directly affect the airway. These Mm. changes may result in greater airway instability and collapsibility that potentially lead to other problems later in life, such as sleep disorder breathing. Prior investigations of children with mouth breathing have shown that a correlation with abnormal oral facial growth. So- Surely we cannot ignore what okay, one person has well, considered a, the founding of a father of sleep medicine.
2: I mean, all, all we're asking for, Patrick, really is debate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to debate on why teeth are crooked, you know? And is also that, you
0: know, the bigger debate on what John was saying, that we have to be considering the face, we have to be considering yes. the airway. And I'm going to bring it to a close because I think it has been a tremendous well, conversation. We start yeah.
2: with the cause of crooked teeth and work upwards, Patrick. To these other subjects.
1: I could say a lot about the actual cause of sleep apnea, but that is another subject.
2: And I think it's related to the cause of crooked teeth. This whole thing, you know, we're no. talking about one structure. And I'm saying if you've got crooked teeth, then there's a high chance that this structure, there was something wrong with the growth of this structure. If you have crooked teeth or you don't have enough space for all of your teeth line naturally then something's gone wrong with the growth of your face and that will have other health knock-on effects
1: very yes. true
0: yeah so even even with the phenotypes of sleep apnea it, there's still a recognition that anatomical compromise is the single most common factor which yes. is causing obstructive sleep apnea there are other phenotypes as well loop gain upper airway recruitment etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah um it's, it's, but there's
2: an interplay between all of those as well.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time. And Thank any you, parents, any people listening to this, I would love to bring some support to Dr. Mike Mew. He has had, I would say, a rough journey. I, I really feel for you in terms of putting this information out there. And I think ultimately the decision makers here it should be about the parents. It's mm. the parents and it's the parents' children. And I think for any of us as parents, we should be viewing how we are having our children treated orthodontically and de- with dentists.
2: But, but also and knowing remember, the information. Yeah, you can break most of what I'm saying. We're saying to stand up straight and shut your mouth. Now, that's, there's a good start. Okay,
0: okay. Choose some garbage. <laughs> stand up straight, shut your mouth. Okay. So we'll close at that. Thank you so much. thank you for listening to the oxygen advantage podcast if you liked what you heard please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review the oxygen advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers